Okay, everyone, welcome back to the Film Buffs podcast. I'm here with Jono and Alex, and today we're going to be talking about Birdman, the best picture winner from 2013, or 2015, sorry, uh, directed by Alejandro Inarutu. And, um, I think I should be the one saying the name. Yes, please, Alex, Alex you go <laughs> ahead, you introduce it. Alejandro González Iñárritu. Hmm. That Much better. About, that sounded about right. <laughs> yeah. Yours sounded kind of like if Japanese. In the Rutu, sounded Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> say it again. How do you say it? Alejandro, just like my Alejandro, name. Alejandro, just like your name. Yeah, González, that's easy. González. Mm-hmm. Iñarritu. Iñarritu? I- exactly. Iñarritu. 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 That's it. You got it. That was your turn, wow, Jonah. Okay. <laughs> Spanish lessons with Alex 101. That's very handy. Okay, so like I said, <laughs> this was the best picture winner from 2015, starring uh, what's his name? Michael Keaton, Emma Stone, and Edward Norton, amongst others. But um yeah, I remember watching this film in 2014, to be honest. The first time I saw it, I was a little bit intoxicated, and I fell asleep in the last 15 minutes. So uh, I didn't really get the film at the time, but we watched it again, and I think I have a few things to say about it. So, um, Alex, why don't you start us off? I also watched it in 2014, and I wasn't intoxicated, but I didn't sure, sure, like sure. it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Would you care to expand on that? Yeah, definitely. But first, let's see what's Jono's first thoughts about it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I'm hoping that uh, our connection here stays intact. I'm getting a lot of lag on it. But hey, okay, let's keep going here. Uh, I watched it also in 2014 in the theaters, and uh, I uh, I remember liking it quite a bit, to be honest. I thought it was, well... It wasn't it wasn't my favorite film of all time, but I I I enjoyed it. I I had a good time. I thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm also a drummer, so the the soundtrack obviously. <laughs> yeah. Really yeah, resonates no, I, with um, me. So w- when I was watching it, I really wanted to talk to you about the the soundtrack in particular because obviously you are a drummer. So can you talk to it a little bit talk about the soundtrack a little more? What you liked about it? Well, it was uh, it was just very well done from a drumming perspective. It all it's it's essentially m- like a, a a massive jazz drum solo the entire time. So mm-hmm. it, it it's a it's a it was an interesting execution of a very raw instrument throughout, and it it really drives a lot of tension. You realize how much emotion a drum uh, a drum set, especially in that kind of jazzier sense, can really carry. Right? It's a very the musicality of of the the drum set is very well used in this uh and it was obviously i it's almost like you don't really notice it at points it, it almost feels like it's a it's a full band slash or slash orchestra at points because it really is you know when there's great points of tension uh or just uh, it shifts kind of the way uh, a carrot like it, it it comes on very suddenly or it speeds up and tempos vary and it, it they, they mm-hmm. you'll get lots of snare shots at points where like the mood changes or it's you know michael keaton's 
going through a like it hit a mood change kind of thing right so it was just a very fascinating approach to doing a soundtrack and i loved it i also loved how the titles were handled as well art direction wise i thought it was fantastic and musically i, I yeah, think definitely. the music is pretty really one of the biggest highlights of the movie it's really enjoyable the guy's really good yeah I had heard that uh, the way that the guy did it was basically he was watching the film live and doing a live recording. Yeah. And just improvising throughout the the throughout watching the film. I heard that too, and he was uh, <laughs> that's probably the easiest paycheck he's ever got. That's <laughs> just like <laughs> I love hearing stuff like that because it's so funny. It's just I mean he's obviously an incredibly talented drummer, and it's a very authentic way to record a soundtrack yeah and that's not the first time i've heard uh i well i believe that uh blade runner was basically approached the same way um it was essentially uh like the soundtrack was completely produced or at least the melodies were those big synth sounds were done on the spot or in reaction to scenes right so but right. i always think it's kind of an interesting thing when uh <laughs> It's, it seems like a great way to do a job. Watch a movie once and play some music to it and say, I did it. Well, um, a friend of mine, her dad is a professional drummer, and apparently when the movie came out, there was, um, there was a show where the drummer, the, the actual drummer from the film, came and he played along, like they took out the soundtrack, and he played, uh, like he improvised along to the movie. And so she went and she saw that, and she said it was, it was phenomenal. Hmm. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so his name is uh, Antonio uh, Sanchez. Yeah. He's a he's a Mexican-born drummer there, Alex. He's in your yeah. he's in your area, possibly. He's in my area. I know a guy who knows him. Does he sell him weed? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Anyways, very talented, okay. and I loved how they had him in appearances throughout the film too. It's almost it, like yeah, the drummer, I thought that was pretty interesting. Well, it, it's it kind of lends to the the mood and story of the film, right? Like it, it's this kind of uh, psychosis that he's going through, right, with uh, the actual yeah. Birdman uh, appearing, and basically, and, and the composer to the soundtrack of his life at that time is also appearing throughout without any, without saying anything. I think there's, there's a couple of scenes where the drummer is featured very, very briefly, which I thought was a, it doesn't feel out of place, which is a really fantastic thing to see in a film, right? Like to break that wall down a little bit and it, but it made a lot, it made sense in this film, which I thought was a very interesting choice. So anyways, very integrated yeah into the so film. let's uh let's go back to the the opening titles because you mentioned those um i like the way that this film builds out like it starts with the question right and the question that it asks is did you get what you wanted from this life so that's sort of our premise going into the film uh and then it the next line is uh what does it say i wrote it down here did you get what you wanted from this life? I did, and it was to call myself beloved and to be beloved on the earth. So this is how we open, and then we go into his story of a man who is trying to basically find validation and uh, to see if he actually gets what he wants from this life. So we follow the actor, who is uh, he's a movie star, and he comes to New York in pursuit of art, 
and they set up the dichotomy between art and and Hollywood, New York and Hollywood. And it's always this sort of uh, art versus commercialization. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, this... a lot. Sorry, Alex, you go ahead. No, oh, it's fine. Like, this is like talking about more about this Iñárritu's work. Like, this is his most lighthearted movie in his whole filmography. Most of the subjects that he talks about are so heavy, like drugs, murder, and killings, and cancer. But still, like, this guy really, really knows how to get into people's emotions, even with a question, like in the credit scene. That's maybe why I don't like his work that much, because I feel like every time I watch a movie of his, he manipulates my emotions so much that, I don't know. In a in a way that you don't appreciate it, you feel exactly. like it's cheap. Do you feel like it's a cheap? No, no, not like not like it's cheap because he's a really good director. It's just not my. I I I don't like him. You know, like it's like I can't think of a director that I don't like a lot right now. But he's one of those people that I really don't feel like connected with his work. Do you feel it's a bit gimmicky? Yeah. Yeah. Do you not do you not like the cuz I think I always kind of Dan you just read out uh essentially the the a light premise to the film, right? Like he he yeah. starts the yeah. film off with the premise uh, and it's obviously it, it that carries throughout like um with other characters, Edward Norton, char- yep. Edward Norton's character uh, discussing with Emma Stone, Sam on the rooftop, uh, basically if you know, for like they're what are they getting out of life kind of thing. Like everybody seems to be dealing with this this premise throughout the film. And uh, do you do you just not appreciate the fact that they they highlight it at the beginning? And where are you? And you feel like it's just it's too easy kind of thing. And then they just force emotional cues throughout the film is that kind of what you're finding yeah kind of now that you put it that way yeah it's kind of what i feel and it's something that i see in every single one of his movies hmm it's interesting yeah it's like it's it's the same like like tarantino for example well actually when when this guy started i felt (laughs) that he wanted to be a little bit like tarantino because his first three films are divided in acts or stories, just like Tarantino does all the time. Does he do that in this movie? I don't think so. No, I think this is the first movie no. where he doesn't no. do that. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Like, like the way he tells stories, is, I really don't, I, I don't know. Like, it's, I, I really want to say something, something that's not harmful towards that guy because he does things that I wish I could do in my thirties, but you know. <laughs> yeah. No. It's... See, I, I, I understand that. I, I was very confused with this film at first. Like, it doesn't resonate with me in a way that a lot of films do. I like the fact that he asks you a question, and it's all about exploring one question throughout the whole film. And there's so much that he he doesn't spoon feed you. So I can appreciate the structure, but I, I still don't know how I how I feel like if I like this film or not. I think it's very masterful in its crafting. Uh, so I appreciate that a lot. And I found that um, one of the things I really liked was that 
the all of the characters have very clear through lines. They all have very clear wants that they're going after the whole film, right? Like uh, Michael Keaton's character, it's did you get what you wanted from this life? And what he wants is to be beloved in the earth, right? That's that's his through line. Uh, Emma Stone's is um, to be seen. You know, there's lots of scenes where they're talking about her being invisible. Uh, so her whole thing is to be seen for who she who she is, uh, which she gets from her father and from Edward Norton. Edward Norton's characters characters through line is to find the truth, to tell the truth, and to exist in the real, essentially the real moment. Uh, so I I found that the characters were so clearly driven and motivated throughout this film and it's a constant battle of like are you getting what you want in every single scene so structurally i thought it was it was fascinating oh yeah very he, clear he's, very concise he's really good doing that like i'm not gonna deny that like I, i don't know if he wrote this one he used to have an incredible writer but they got into a fight because this guy is known for having like a huge ego But mm. the way its structure is great. And technically, it's a masterpiece. Like, those wonders that they have, the music, the editing, everything is perfect. But I've always find that when I start noticing those technicalities, then the movie, yeah. like, the story is not really capturing me, you know? Mm. And it's something that yeah. I see all the time with this guy. Like, even when you go to The Revenant, it's the same thing. Like, you see this mm -hmm. amazing, beautiful shots, but the story really doesn't get into me. Yeah, see, I'm I'm fascinated by this as well because I'm trying to figure out what the the choice is to use the oneer. You know, like there's I always like to talk about form matching content. So I I watched this film the first time, and the first time I was very aware that it was a oneer, and it felt long and it felt drawn out. But then the second time I watched it, I was much more engrossed in the story, and I didn't notice it as as much. But I still have questions as to why they would choose this form for this story. So if you guys have any sort of speculation on that, I'd be, uh, I'd this like is, to hear. This it. is my, my Mexican colleagues are going to hate me, but it's something most of my Mexican colleagues love to do, like having this amazing shots in their movies. Like they want their movies to have like the biggest one or ever, or have the most complicated right. shot ever. It's something that, If you see, like, if you go to Children of Man from Cuaron, the same thing. Like, they really want to get into this really hard shots, and Lubezki shot it as well. So it's like this kind of thing that they want to keep improving their work with every with every movie in in the technical and like technical wise and story wise. Well, I remember why. I remember when we we watched this back in 2014 and the first thing that oh i can't i might have been you dan that said it to me or it might have been another friend i can't could have been i but like the 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 one shot just made it very exhausting to watch right like it was yeah yeah but my my thought on that like when we were like some someone just expressed that like it's like man that that was it was well shot but man one shot can be very exhausting because you don't get these breaks you don't get these mm -hmm. uh you know cuts where you your your mind shifts you're always kind of locked into what's yeah. going on and i think that 
I've always thought about this and even back then that that was the reason for it is that it's kind of a it's a relentless thing to watch but it's also I thought that that really lined up well with uh, Michael Keaton's character because he's kind of relentless in his pursuit obsessive. of the, yeah he's an obsessive person he doesn't uh, yeah. it never yeah, stops yeah, okay. but also his uh his his other side, Birdman, never stops pestering him. I well, he comes and goes, but he's always kind of there. You're always, you just always feel like he's on this path, and all of the things that he's got, his, all this baggage is moving with him throughout these shots. Yeah, and everybody else is kind of popping in and out of there with their mm. little things, but he's very much carrying a lot with him, and you never forget what he's got in his bag you know uh, yeah, that was it okay. like yeah, that yeah. stress I, like that. I always felt like it was a very stressful thing to watch too and you are exhausted but you kind of feel exhausted because you're watching michael keaton's character go through all of this non-stop you know whether mm. everything's yeah. hitting him from every angle right and and including his own um his own issues or just he's just constantly under under stress <laughs> which i thought was a, yeah, a useful yeah, yeah. technique to do it i don't know if that was the intent it could have been a wank shot for all we know you know that sounds wrong <laughs> to say but uh <laughs> but right? it, it could it could have been a, a bit of an artistic uh, an artistic wank but I, I actually well, yeah, felt I mean, like that is sort of the, the general. Yeah, I, I'm that's sh- sort of what they say about oneers in the industry, right? It's a bit of like you know, it's a bit of showing off. It's just yeah, well look, well look what I could do, and it's sometimes less about the content and more about the form. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do almost think that it might have um, caused some some of the performance to suffer. At least early on in the film, I don't know how it was, how exactly shoot days were structured or how they actually broke up these shots, because obviously they did. Um, but yeah. uh, at points that uh, you kind of feel the, at least early on in the film, at least with Michael Keaton, I almost feel like just the exhaustion of doing multiple takes with uh with that like i almost felt like he his performance got better and better throughout the film but it almost felt like there were some growing pains with probably doing very long scenes and shots again i don't know how it went but like uh, i i do feel like it was a uh, it felt a little bit s- i don't know if i'm reading into it like but i it did feel like the performances uh, early on in the in the film were a little bit kind of they felt fresh to me or exhausted i don't know like not fresh in the sense but like working out how to operate in that realm that way of shooting right i don't know that that's just a guess of mine i obviously just i'm taking a lot of liberties saying that but again maybe yeah i'm not sure maybe that's intentional maybe as well Yeah, maybe it's the fact that he's uh you know he is the producer and director and the star of the play. So maybe that all sort of plays into his characterization of how he played it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, so. that's true too. So, and yeah, no, that, that is definitely a good point. So anyway, I, I did, I appreciated the one shot to be honest. I didn't take it as an artistic, you know, yeah. bragging point. The, like I said, like the first time I saw it, I didn't really care for it. And it was, it was harder to watch, but then the second time, I, well, the first time was in the theater, but then uh, I watched it twice this past week. 
And again, the first time I didn't like it. And then the second time I started to appreciate it a lot more. And I think this is a film that, that needs and requires multiple viewings. Uh, but one of the things that I really appreciated was at, at times was the fact that you weren't getting all the coverage, you know, like the scene with Emma Stone where she tells her dad that he's not relevant anymore. It stays on her for her whole speech. There's no cutting to reactions of Michael Keaton. So I, I felt what this with what this this did was it creates a sense of um, oh, I want to say this right. It makes you as a viewer. It puts you in the position of the of the character who's 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 viewing the the actor performing, if that makes sense. So like in that scene where you're just looking at Emma Stone and she's saying these horrible things to her dad, she's looking right past the camera. So without cutting to him and seeing the reaction, I think as an audience, your imagination is filling in those reactions and those gaps. And I think for me anyway, it created a very personal experience. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to see that too in my mind. Remember the movie, you know? Yeah, I remember that. It was the it was the scene where he finds that she's been smoking pot, and then she yeah. in that yeah that backstage room. So she's and she flips out and says that he doesn't even have a Facebook page and all that stuff. Yeah, which really cuts deep, you know. It really str- that well <laughs> that really shook. Me I mean, to that the is core. the design of the scene. Yeah, right. Like that <laughs> he doesn't have a Facebook page or what. It's like, oh my god. He isn't relevant. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's the thing, right? He's confronted with with the loss of what he wants, right? Which I think is was a great scene. Yeah, but I also thought it was really that was an, that was an interesting scene to put in there too, or at least what she was not interesting scene, but what she was saying is what means to be re- what it means to be relevant today is so impersonal mm-hmm. and. Uh, what what she what she character or what she described as relevant is actually very in many cases her examples were detachments you know that yeah, social the impersonal yeah they're very impersonal things they're they're viewer viewer things like outside perspective like people look at you through these channels that you create and foster and and uh and populate right it's your that the whole thing yeah. it's your front page but like he's uh he's tr- trying to remain relevant in a new world with newer things that define relevance but yeah, i also thought it was like well that's also kind of a sad description of what's relevant right like <laughs> in many cases right, yeah and yeah he's almost you could almost argue he's better for that in some cases to be irrelevant, I guess. Uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts on, on that? Like, cause he, I don't know. Yeah, go on. Uh, I'm I'm rambling here. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking. I, I was when you were talking about. I was just thinking that it's really cool that they cast Batman as Birdman and someone whose yeah. career was completely forgotten after Batman, like. Nobody cared about him anymore, you know, like for 15 years or yeah. like 20 years, 20 years. I think it was a perfect role for him. He might not have been acting for a lot of that scenes. He was probably feeling a lot of the 
of a character's baggage in in his memories you know it's kind of it's kind of tough it was a great choice and then having edward norton is also a great choice the arrogant prick <laughs> hmm. yeah i like the juxtaposition of the the arrogance of youth and um what, what i what i wrote down versus the, the age and the the insecurity right like Edward Norton is so like in the, you know, this is my town and he's young and he's hip and he has all the, the critical reviews of uh, the method actor and all that stuff. And, and then you got Michael Keaton, who's, uh, who's been a celebrity and that's all that they can see him as now. They can't see him as anything more than a celebrity, right? He's sort of a, a hollow shell of an actor. And that's, that's told to us in the scene with the, the critic in the bar, which is kind of a mirror scene of the scene with Emma Stone where she tells him she he's not relevant again. Yeah. That was uh that was an interesting scene, but it I thought it would I thought it was an interesting scene for the fact that she essentially will not accept him for anything other than what he he is to her, right? Like you can't yeah. break outside of this box and I'm going to make sure that you're ruined for it. Like the resentment for what mm -hmm. he was and does it, or did was totally unwarranted. And it, it's just, there's this snooter, there's this snootery that, that is going on throughout the film, right? This battle between yeah. what, what, uh, what art really is and can and can anybody mm -hmm. who even if you're good at it can you be considered an artist for it right and the whole time yeah. he's considered a hack even though in the end he actually <laughs> flips it on his head by basically shooting his beak off <laughs> in a sense <laughs> you know like yeah. he blows up well, in a very literal sense. Yeah, he, he's uh well that's what he does, right? Like he gives him he no, he blows off the 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 human form of the beak which is the defining character facial characteristic <laughs> of a character he played before. So yeah. Anyways. Oh, yeah, that's uh, I I never thought of it like that. That's cool. Yeah. But yeah, um, he doesn't kill himself. He also doesn't. He kills. He kills Bird his. Man. He kills Birdman. I've seen it. But I've, does I've he seen though? It three because times, and I always thought that he was gonna kill himself. Me too. But yeah. does he? Does he kill Birdman, or does he become Birdman in the end? What do you think of that last scene? I mean, there's a lot of discussion out there that happened. And yeah, he becomes Birdman. Is that? Is does he? How so? Like he's been he's been living like through the whole movie you see him how much he mm -hmm. misses that part of his life like he really hates himself he wants to be that character that person that he was years before so I feel that the moment he shoots himself it's like you know what like I'm killing this old me and becoming this entity again that's why he jumps out of the window at the end like I feel that he truly believes he's Birdman now interesting really okay yeah i mean obviously this this is not an easy open and shut ending but uh the way that i looked at it was in the hospital scene when zach galifianakis comes in he says this is it we did it this is what we wanted right so he goes to the whole film and he gets exactly what's what he wanted which was to be beloved and to be renowned in the earth 
So for me, when he goes and he jumps out the window, I don't really look at it as him actually killing himself so much as as a metaphor for uh, like sort of like his apotheosis, right? Like he cements himself in the in the firmament of as like a star and an actor and an artist. Uh, and I think why I, I look at that is because Emma Stone comes, she she looks out the window and she looks down initially, but there's nothing down there. So then when she looks up and she sees, obviously, I guess he's flying away and she's happy for him. I think that that, that sort of signifies like, he's achieved everything that he wanted rather than just becoming Birdman. I think he's become like his true self as an artist. Well, he also Birdman says goodbye to him. His Yeah, like he leaves Birdman sitting on the toilet. Yeah. And he, and he I think he tells him to uh to shut up or F off or something. Yeah, he right? does, yeah. Yeah, but Emma Stone at the end is like looking at him flying. She's high. That's the thing. She relapsed. <laughs> She's or high. Are high. high. So she... Or are we high? Or are we high? Yeah. She she doesn't change. She's the same character, so she gets high again. So she learned nothing. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> um, it's kind of like no, I, I thought about this the first time I watched it, but it's, it has a lot of similarities <clears throat> to Black Swan, right? But less dramatic. Yeah, Black Swan was pretty dark. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was dark, but yeah. like, I don't know. It, it's kind of like the ending. It's kind of a, the same. It takes the same path and everything. What was the ending in Black Swan again? She stabs herself with a glass to make it perfect. Oh, right. Make, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Well, in that, yeah. But this one has a very uplifting ending, right? Or at least we're led to believe that it because is. Because he flies. Because he flies away. He finally soars. He's. <laughs> He's left all of his, you know, troubles behind, and he's flying away, and he's left Birdman on the toilet. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you're Hopefully a celebrity, soon. committing suicide is going up. So, hey, that's yeah. kind of an interesting yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it's, elevates you. Wow. Yeah. To immortality. Well, I think we finally stumbled onto the true meaning of this film. So, <laughs> but yeah, let, let, <laughs> take breaking, that in Yaritu. <laughs> but yeah, breaking that down though, I do find it interesting that he like everything kind of wraps up all of his issues or like he's accomplished everything. He's even said goodbye to his, uh, his the voice in his head, the the bird man, and then he leaves. Yeah. The, he jumps out the window with a brand new nose and flies. I I still I'm still a little confused by it. I'm sure there's some great theories out there, but. Yeah. Well, I don't. I I still don't really. I, I there were parts of it. Where I was just like, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm re- this is fully registering with me, but I have my theories. Yeah, exactly. I and I think this is kind of my whole feeling on the film is like, I I still don't know how I feel about. it. I've watched it three times now, and I I can't really say that I love it or that I hate it. I'm I'm very intrigued by the film, and I think that kind of leads me more toward liking it is because it's um. It's not open and shut. It's it's uh it's the question and then the open ended ending that leaves you to draw your own conclusions. And I I, I really appreciate that. I, I feel like the filmmaker is trusting you to do what you want with the the piece, right? It's like a, it's like a painting, right? It means something different to everybody. 
So there's no like definitive interpretation. Everybody brings themselves to the movie as they bring themselves to a piece of art. So I, I think it's a fascinating film to look at. Yeah, Boom. and I thought it was very. I thought it was great from a mostly from a tor- storytelling perspective. I like you said, yes, Dan. I, great I, moments. I, yeah, I actually liked it. I found all of the characters interesting. I found all of their journeys to be very. Uh, you know. I was in, I was invested in the characters I, I'd say and almost all yeah, of, and totally. all of them on screen right like you have empathy for almost every character on there whether it's you have empathy for his ex-wife uh, his yeah. girlfriend Edward Norton's girlfriend who becomes his ex-girlfriend like every and even you even feel for Zach Galifianakis the whole time you're just like this poor guy is just trying to help his friends. <laughs> get somewhere and like like every victory he just he relishes in it not for himself most of the time but just like everything's gonna be okay and i'm doing this for you guys like it's just you feel you feel the triumphs you feel the you feel the lows it's for every character right so i i I did i'd say that that's a very successful film character wise and even story wise yeah absolutely i still don't know how i feel about the ending and overall uh the film per se but i do think that there's a lot of components that i really enjoyed about it so Mm -hmm. and i think it brings a lot of interesting topics to the table yeah like uh um the what like what is what is art and all that and like uh what you know what what does it mean to be validated and respected and all that like i I thought that they they juggled a lot of these things quite well it is a very like hollywood like it has components of like kind of that la la land-esque thing you know where it's like a movie about hollywood a little bit right like you you kind of get a little bit tired of these films uh, but they do they do have relatable um, things. I'd say that the, this film's actually becoming more and more relevant these days as we basically get more as individuals the yeah, potential yeah. to expose ourselves and gain audiences. I think this this is yeah. this film based on its subject matter has a lot of um, has a lot of legs and it has a, it has mm-hmm. a long shelf life. I think. Which is impressive. Yeah, it, it is. And, and it, it's discussing this sort of like, what is art versus entertainment, right? In an era of the Avengers, you know? Like, totally. What year did the first Avengers come out? 2013? Yeah. And I think yeah. 2015, the second one came out? That's right. And then it's coming into this whole other, like now that's all just come up to a whole other level, right? And this, yeah, yeah it, it's... It's becoming, uh, like I said, it's becoming more. The film talking about relevance is becoming more and more relevant. I think so. It's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you there, and I, I really love films that that do that. I think there's, there's a handful of really good films that years later are just as relevant or even more relevant than they were when they were released. So I think this is this is right up there with them. Yeah. Now that you put it that way, yeah. It's gonna be pretty relevant. Like it, it's car. It's really hard for me to think of all of these Marvel films and thinking of three move, three Marvel movies that are gonna be remembered in twenty, thirty years. It's it's hard, but these movies are are gonna last for a while, you know. 
Yeah, and, and they I think are changing the face of cinema as well, right? They're changing how we consume entertainment. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they are being viewed as films that are much more just entertainment rather than art. You know, they're not really ask well, I don't I don't want to say they're not really asking big questions like Birdman is, but they're much more clear cut and much more straightforward. So they don't invite as much as much um like question they don't invite they don't yeah they don't invite as much discussion yeah they're more straightforward that's that's the thing like i i personally don't like this film just because i like i said don't really like the director but still it's a like it's not a bad like a terrible film it's good and it has something that other films don't have and it's always good to go to a movie theater and see something different like for example, Mother yeah. from Darren Aronofsky. Weirdest movie I've ever seen. But I enjoyed it just because it was different. Yeah. And after seeing four or five Marvel movies in a year, it's kind of good to see something that takes you out of that for a little bit. And that was why I personally, back when I first saw this film, did enjoy it. I did think it was a... It was... It was it was different. It, it was thought provoking. It had uh, it had humorous elements to it as well. Edward Norton obviously was a <laughs> a very uh, good character yeah. to have in that film, and even like his back to the the one shot like this. Just the way they established new characters in this film, I just found very uh, i found it really interesting like you're immediately intrigued i when i watched it again the other day uh, it had been a long time since i seen it and i uh, and i didn't look up the film before i saw it either i just put it on which i was i'm very happy i did because it was a very uh i i forgot so much and i even forgot edward norton was in it and i was like oh wow and as soon as he's on the screen <laughs> i was just like like he he approaches him from from stage uh, what is it stage left and like edward norton's standing center stage and that's just kind of yeah. a very interesting way to introduce him from the distance as well and you're like i was like oh man yeah edward norton and as soon as he gets into that conversation he just immediately t takes the film in a different direction with that the, that character being there just with how aggressive he is and it's also yeah. funny, he starts taking the play in a different direction. He actually starts taking control 100%. of yeah. um, of the narrative or just like directing it, right? Not not the narrative, mm -hmm. but he starts taking control of the situation and that and the play. And he really just starts like becoming this focal point uh, in the film at that moment. He becomes yeah. this, this center stage character, which I thought was a very interesting thing for them to get right into like normally that doesn't happen where like you you usually have a little bit of time with this character but again the relentlessness of this film you meet edward norton he immediately becomes this like stress point for michael keaton and he just he just turns everything on his head and says drop that line do this and let's get like bring out the emotion in it. Like, what is your problem? And he just like, yeah. makes him explode. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then the, the rest of the film from there is off going in this direction now. So I thought it was very interesting how characters were introduced and how they shift the trajectory of it, particularly Edward Norton. Yeah, no, he was great. I, I also like that he was introduced center stage because that is 
who he is as a character, right? Like he wants the spotlight. He's always stealing the scene. When Michael Keaton is doing his speech like to to the audience, he's getting upset and he's raging about how he replaced his gin with water. You know, he's trying to get an erection and he's trying to actually have sex with the act- actress on stage because it's real. And it's just constantly always drawing attention to himself, right? And I, I heard that get, like Edward Norton is like that in real life, man. <laughs> really? Yeah, like he's impossible to work with. Really? Wow. I, yeah, I yeah. The guy, like he, you know, he was in the Incredible Hulk in the second one. Oh. The guy oh, I heard we tried this, to yeah. rewrote the whole script and rewrite the whole script, and he was trying to direct the movie. And I've heard of oh, things wow. like that for a couple films. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's kind of cool. I've, like Michael I've, Keaton is an asshole. <laughs> oh, in real life. No, no, no. Sorry, I meant Edward Norton. I don't know why I say Michael Keaton. Michael <laughs> Keaton is a nice, it's a nice guy. Don't, don't touch Michael Keaton. <laughs> no, Michael Keaton is is Batman. I love him. I'm just kidding. Well, hey, hey, I just want to, I just want to throw this out there that, of course, you know, this is hearsay about Edward Norton, and a lot of these conversations just are, get blown out of like creative differences. So it's it's always a little bit difficult to say if he really is a jerk to work with, or if it's just two artists having a conversation about the direction of something and that gets interpreted one way on set and then gets blown out of proportion in the media. So let's not call him a, you know, let's not call him an asshole. We love you, Edward. You know what? Edward, come on the show, please. No, We'd love to have you. We're, we have a lot of power here on Film Buffs and sometimes we forget the weight we carry in the industry. And That's right. Yeah, we'd like to apologize before it gets out there edward norton um whatever your hulk script was i'm sure it was great (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah anyways so he did a good job in the film and that was i i enjoyed that i thought the i again the characters riveting characters lovely characters great moments from all of them um, I want to uh, just mention this. I think this this potential uh, bit of historical connection with the film and with Marlon Brando, when Brando was on stage as a young guy doing uh, what was it uh, the Tennessee Williams play? Uh, what was it called? Streetcar Named Desire. Uh, apparently he he was, of course he was you know the one of the first guys to do method acting. And there's a story of him. He gets so bored with with one of the pl- with the performances after a while that he would just start exploring and start doing random crazy stuff. And apparently, in one of his performances, he was off stage, and it, before he came on, he get, he like fondled himself and gave himself an erection, and then came on stage with it showing through his pants, and like just freaked the actress right out. And then he started chasing her around the set. So I wonder if this is potentially like a a reference to that. You know, Edward Norton doing that in the bed and then potentially a reference to uh, Marlon Brando Maybe. and his in- introducing the method to the stage. I'm I'm sure if that is a true story that it probably was inspired by that. Marlon Brando's great, you know? He was great. Yes, he was. Just like Edward Norton. No. But, it, but, but I heard... Marlon Brando was better. I heard that Marlon Brando as um Jarrell tried to rewrite Superman. 
Oh yeah, I I, I, I saw that in a documentary on Netflix. And I heard <laughs> he tried to do it with an erection. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> He ate a bunch of lead in the hopes <laughs> that it would come out. You know what? Let's not start rumors here. I don't want to. I don't want to get into this with Marlon Brando. I love him. Yeah. He, can't, he can't defend himself anymore. So no, he can't anymore. Not unless. No, but Edward Norton can. So we can't. We can't. We can't. Not unless he's uploaded his consciousness into a uh, <laughs> Kryptonian ship. Somewhere. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah but that's right. Russell Crowe already took over his role, so no. That's right. <laughs> he was deleted. Uh, yeah. Anyways, um, and what what did you guys think of uh, <laughs> the scene in Birdman? By the way, where he gets uh, where Michael Keaton gets stuck outside of the the theater, taking a drag of the of a cigarette. Oh, that one. Yeah, water? I was. Well, the whole thing's a wonder. Yeah. No, but that one, like, that's the most important one. Why? Because, because it goes they through. Say so. Yeah, because, like, that, they planned that for days and weeks and everything was improvised. Like, they took him out, like, out the, outside of the theater and nobody of the people around knew that he was, like, acting. They thought he was actually, like, locked out. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, all the reactions you see are real. What? Yeah. That was yeah, like all, all the people all the ex- people ex- freaking explain out. Explain that. Explain that some more. That, that's that's it. That's really it. Like they they thought the best way to shoot that scene was to have real reactions from real people. So they just took him outside the theater in his underwear. Shot the whole thing and the people looking at him and freaking out was completely real. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Yeah, like the most I, famous I shot of that. that film is that one. Yeah. So the the steady camera didn't give it away that they were shooting something. Well, no, I think most they, people they, wouldn't they, care. They shoot a lot in 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 New York, so. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I guess that would do it. I guess you know, if you're shooting that, you probably get a lot of those uh those crazy extras that are just shouting random stuff that doesn't really fit, potentially. So I guess it is a good way to get. I mean, it's obviously a good way to get live reactions because it worked. Hmm. Yeah, and it was it was like that. That was pretty smart to do, and it looks really cool. Yeah, I like that scene for the fact that it juxtaposes what he's trying to do in the theater with how he actually becomes famous to the public. You know, he's trying to make art and do something that's important and meaningful and cement his legacy. But the thing that gets him the most followers and the most uh, public attention is something stupid like running outside in his underwear. And I think that, again, goes to speak to the nature of, of fame and the nature of the internet today, where it's like there's a lot less focus on, on the art as opposed to the ridiculous and the, the everyday silliness that happens, like somebody gets locked, si- locked outside in their underwear. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, I, you guys, I'm I- reading an article here where he actually... He actually did, uh, yeah, he did, they did shoot this, like, authentically on the streets of New York. That's too funny. That's fantastic. What a great idea. Yeah, like, I think they had a camera, they had, like, three cameras set up, the Steadicam and another one, like, a hidden cam somewhere, just in case they didn't get the shot properly from one side. 
Like it was insane. Because yeah. the production couldn't afford to shut down Times Square or fill it with paid extras. Like they did for Vanilla Sky. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that was quite a scene. Huh. Yeah. So to, in that case, wouldn't they have to get a bunch of release forms for anybody that ended up on camera? Ah, they probably did. Like, they probably had, like, a, some PA there handing out. People running around forms, with waivers, yeah. 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 Well, yes That's... and no. I mean... There, there's also you can also put out like the the sandwich board that says you know if you appear on this you know we're shooting here if you appear on screen then you re- that you've already given up your rights to to sue or whatever i remember we had those in vancouver when we when i was doing pa work you put out like the big sort of sandwich board sign so that people can see it and you can point to them so they're kind of just by being there have mm-hmm. given their consent to be on film Okay, I didn't know they'd do that. I thought they were going around with <clears throat> the release forms. It's uh, it's pretty hard to do if it's like it's a, live. It says here that they had a lot of film crew dressed as pedestrians that were that they'd uh, that were guiding people basically. Yeah. So they and the drummer, the drum band, the drumming band uh, was apparently a big kind of controlling factor i guess they'd kind of set up a bit of a situation where they'd have more control and like more crowd control yeah because he was the i guess he walks through the drumming the um the drum line right at one point yeah so i guess they kind of they had a bit of a route or something planned for him but there's a lot of real people in that scene that's kind of inter- that's very interesting. I didn't know that. This this film fascinates me. The more I hear See, about stuff, I, I I don't like the movie, and I and I told you a fun fact. That's that's good. That's pretty <laughs> radical, man. Yeah. Well, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I, I always look into those little things. It's kind of cool. And that's why we love you, uh, Alex. So I and I love you guys. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, is there anything else that we we need to talk about with this film? Well, I think we should just rate it. Yeah. I think we've covered quite a bit of it. Yeah. So. Yeah, like yeah. more than we did with Crazy Rotations. Well, that's true. I'll have to catch up <laughs> on that one. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry I couldn't be here, fans of film buffs. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I heard... Fans, the... fans forgive you, but you need to sign up one million autographs for them. Oh, okay, well... Oh, hang on, hang on. Uh, I have some... Um, what do you think about the the scene with the critic where the idea is basically that the the critic risks nothing and that the actor and the artist is always risking something? Because that's a very prominent theme throughout the film. Maybe we should touch on that a little bit. Oh yeah, that, yeah. Uh, I can't believe we forgot that in all of this. There's a lot. It's there's a lot. See, again, a lot talked about in this yeah. film. Well done, well done. I, I'd say I I complete. I mean. So I I I'm I can be corrected on this. I'm okay with that. But I completely agreed with the uh, the perspective of Michael Keaton in that because I do feel like the critic the critic today and I actually think that this applies to uh, I can loop this back to critics of uh in the era of superhero films. Now I'm not talking about stage. I'm not much into the stage uh performance play scene. Um, but Mm -hmm. I do think that that's a very true statement. We give critics 
so much power. Their words, we give them so much weight, um, especially in the age of Rotten Tomatoes, where people will not go to decent movies based on not just not even reading, not even collecting the source material, their sources to make an educated choice on whether or not they should go to a film. They'll make decisions based on a percentage score that actually has nothing to do with what the writers are saying. It's just kind of an an aggregator of sentiments that an article or a review would have. So I think that the critics in that's in his the context that he's saying I agree with it I think they carry too much weight I think they risk very little they're they have such influence over how people appreciate art and they can mm. put they can take they can take people's interests from something away or they can draw they they can they can stop somebody from doing something make it make their decisions steer their decisions without even having a proper idea or a good reference of what it could possibly be about. She even says how much power she has in this yeah. incredibly beloved. He is beloved. Like there is a fan base for him. Like in that same scene, yeah. uh, or no, the previous scene. Uh, we're no, at I think the bar. it's the same one. No, no, at the bar, the, the one where the, the, the fan comes. The fan comes up and takes photos with them, right? Oh, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I think it's the same. The same. You're scene. right. I think. Yeah, you're right. You have this contrast of like. Oh, it's Birdman. I love Birdman. That's also a struggle that yeah. he's going through. But then he goes to the next person, and she's she has the exact opposite and um, uh, sentiment towards him. She hates him. She wants him destroyed. What he was, what made him, is worthless to her. And she actually yeah, and- has the power in this new world that he's trying to break into to put a stop to all of his hard work and his ambitions whether or not he sucks and whether or not it turns out good or not yeah she's already made up her mind she's made up her mind she risks nothing i i think that it's pretty true in this day and age critics get away with murder they do that well murder of films yeah um and uh murder of potential and in some cases they're right but there are also critics that have we've seen this in past years if you're a comic book film fan go after films relentlessly jump on the bandwagon of bad reviews just to get sniping headlines so that they can get some traffic to their article and i actually think that yes critics have way too much power for just sitting there and having an opinion so why do we listen to them like what is the point of a critic then people we're not telling you not to listen to us okay I think listen that we <laughs> listen to some <laughs> I think that we listen to some with um with good reason but um I think that there have been a lot of famous critics who have who like have Roger built Everett. Yeah, like that have built reputations for reputations for being for for being as objective well not objective but like having valid opinions and bringing people bringing up great points about films and giving people either good reasons to make a educated decision on whether or not they want to see the film and i think there are way more critics now and that's the problem is that you 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 get lost in this sea of critics almost nameless critics who have this collective power to ruin films in the pursuit of getting fame for being a critic. (laughs) 
but they don't really risk much to in being there right they they may attract controversy or they may attract uh, people through a line that stirs up a little bit of a you know discussion or heated debates but sometimes i just don't always think it's valid and i'll I'll say this about a few films over the past few years that i've actually just completely started ignoring rotten tomatoes scores uh and going and looking for the reviews that are like i actually thought this was a good film and here's why just to at least get a perspective on it right so I don't entirely yeah, trust I, uh, critics. Like they're they're no, like I, you you can't really trust them that much because it's just an opinion. It's you have to build your own criteria and decide what you're gonna watch. Problem right now is that going to the movies it's really expensive in the states and Canada in Australia. But paying fifteen dollars to watch a movie, like people go see a percentage and say like this movie's good, and that's bad because they really don't go back and and look at what Rotten Tomato really is. They they don't care about what people are saying. They just care about the numbers. Going mm-hmm. to a movie that we really love, like this guy, Roger Ebert, hated The Last Crusade. Hated it and said it was the most boring film uh. ever. And it's one of the best action films ever. Right. And what I'm that saying is, about, what, yeah. about like critics that have built yeah. names for themselves, I'm not saying that they're right, but I'm saying that the trust in the critic has remained in an era of too many cooks in the kitchen doing this that we've almost yeah. like just trusted the critic and not the fact that they're they may not even have a reputation for having a good opinion on it you know we trust yeah. the collective well, critic yeah, which it doesn't even say yeah. much about the film it just says blah you know and that's the thing that that's what's so like dangerous about it is that they're they're swaying your mind before you've even gone and seen it yourself, right? Like, I, I stopped reading reviews when I was, I don't know, 13 or something like that. I just didn't bother with them because I, I just was like, why should I listen to anyone else's opinion? Why don't I go watch the film for myself and form my own opinion of how I feel about this film, right? Like, totally. That's what we, that's how we should really a- approach anything because it's, it's, you know, like, Vincent van Gogh, he didn't sell a single one of his paintings until the day that he died because nobody thought they were any good. And now they're worth millions and millions of dollars, right? So it's that same sort of thing. Like, this is a, an art, artistic medium. And, and we're panning, some people are panning these movies and calling them terrible and, and whatever. But then years later, people look at them and they become cult classics or whatever. And, and it's something that a, a reviewer, a critic didn't see or couldn't appreciate. But then it finds a home in the public, you know? What we were talking about the other day, Hook. Critics hated it. Yeah. Uh, what? Hang on. There's one film that's really. What, what is that? Like cult? Uh, I can't think of a real cult classic at the moment that came out and and everyone hated it or the critics hated it, but then it found its its feet in the uh, in the. No, uh, it wasn't. Wasn't. Again, I I don't want like pleading potential ignorance here, but wasn't Blade Runner? One of those, it became a cult classic. It was this. I, f- I feel like it it didn't initially get a ton of traction, it, and they were even saying that. It's a cult classic, a, like Scarface. Like they didn't get, it didn't get yes, a lot of Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, another one would be Donnie yeah. Darko is uh, considered a pretty big cult classic, but I don't know what the reviews were on that. Yeah. I, again, I don't actually really read reviews anymore. I get so bored of them. Halfway, not even halfway through, I'm just like, eh, okay. I just don't really, I don't entirely trust everything I read in those 
uh, in the in a, in a critical review of a film necessarily. I feel like I and can get a should. good. Uh, I think I can get a good taste of whether or not I'm interested in wanting to see a film by watching the trailer, and then after that, I'm more than happy to formulate my own opinion. So, I usually don't let critics or scores sway me. Talking talking about as that, you probably like... would have guessed by. My gleaming the review Venom. of Man of Steel. <laughs> <laughs> the right. Venom no, score on Rotten Tomatoes just came out. <gasps> okay. What are, what are they saying about 30%. Venom? 30%. Oh, well, that's... Wow. 30%. The average rating is 4.6 out of 10. Like everybody but that's just that. That's just a critic rating, though. Like the audience rating hasn't come out yet, right? No, it's going to come out on Friday, but it's probably going to be bad, yeah. I think. And that's like, kind of like not a... very happy. Well, I, okay, a great example of a critically acclaimed film and a device, a just divisive fan film would be the latest Star Wars film, right? Yeah. And, I, and for oh, me, yeah. like the the critics praising that film, to me, it was, it was this. I thought it was like this. These just, like to get the to get the positive reviews from the critics like this. To me, it's like I I, I you can't. I feel like you can't trust the analytical approach of somebody who's giving it that great of a review i didn't i didn't i feel like it would could have been by a, a discerning critic a professional film critic there's no way it should be as positively reviewed as it was maybe okay but not like you know yeah. so stellar you know how much does it have like right it now? wasn't uh, i i can't figure out honestly like I, that film bothered me so much i can't figure out how it got good reviews it has 91% sorry 91% on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics I know. it's stupid it Go is on, stupid <laughs> i just cannot oh, <laughs> ah, we should uh, we should almost be it's careful here because this is like this is the yeah. next hour of the podcast but i mean like there's a lot of films <laughs> like that there's a lot of films like that where you've got you know, I, I've never agreed with the okay. scores, and I think a lot of people will stand up for the scores on Rotten Tomatoes and say, these are just, um, they're not actually necessarily reflective of, you know, all the critics gave it a 90%. That's just like a, a good chunk of people gave it a, you know, a pass or whatever. It's not always like these people, I'm not entirely sure how the algorithm works or how the scoring system works, but from what I understand, like, the 91% isn't necessarily saying that every single person that contributed to that high percent said, this is the best film ever, you know, like, and no, it's a 91%. It, just like, it says, like, it has 300 reviews from the last year, at least. It's reviews counted, 393. Fresh, 356. Rotten, 37. So yeah. it's really just making a percentage. Like, it's it's not really counting if you gave it, like, a 9 or a 10. It's just saying, like, this. Yeah. 356 people are saying that it's okay. Yeah, totally. And 37 are saying it's bad. So it's really, it's, 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 it's of no consequence, really. Yeah. And it's not I a mean, good film. That, that's like, the thing. This movie is bad. When it comes bad. to these movies, like, when it comes to movies like Star Wars and and the Avengers and stuff, there's almost no point in having a critical review to this film. Like, what's the point in writing it? People are going to see it. These movies are going to make a billion dollars because they're in the public consciousness already. I've always said so, this though: it's a traffic driving thing for these, like, for film for critics to get on the bandwagon. I felt like a prime sure, example yeah. of this was Batman v Superman. And I hate to bring it back to the superhero stuff, but it's a <laughs> no, very no, good no, example fine. of, well, I mean, technically we're on the subject matter of it anyways, again, 
uh, with Birdman. But uh, it's a, it was for me like say what you want about the film, fine. You hated it, great. But it was the most like, I've never seen such a runaway train of like critics saying like the most you know hate-filled things about this film it's like are you really yeah. that emotionally like does this film really <laughs> irk you that much is it that bad or are you just like i felt like people got in the momentum of this and it was trendy to write headlines like worst yeah. film ever batman batman v superman absolute flop like all this stuff it's like ah, i don't know like let's... They're, they're not objective at all like you go no, around totally and see not. how they score black panther Oh, for yeah. me, it's not a eighty-nine percent. Which totally not. Movie. I was, I was completely bored by Black Panther. Me too. I didn't think it was good at all. I still, I, I watched I, it again. Was a... I was like, this is okay at best. It's an okay see, film. Yeah, I was not interested Marvel in that villain, film. So what? Like that doesn't make it a good movie. It doesn't. He's not. Yeah. He's for me a very plain villain. Like, I, like they they talk about his uh, motivations and like. You know, he's a villain that you can care about. And I'm like, I don't care about him as a villain. <laughs> I don't think he's that great. Like, I, I think there are great components to him, but I didn't think he was a game-changing villain. Like, the Joker was a great villain. The The villain oh, from man. Black Panther was kind of a lot like... He, he wasn't anything special in a villain universe. Thanos was a great villain. Yeah, but if, if you have, like... From what, how many movies they have? 16. And you have 14 mediocre villains at best. When they see something a little bit better, they're like, this is the best villain in the whole series. And it's not Thanos was made, like you said. But uh, yeah, that was I, Killmonger. Yeah, so, Killmonger. He was, he was, I wouldn't even say he was okay. I, at points, I was kind of like, this is, he's a little bit cheesy at points. Like, I'm just like, he, there's a, there's some cliches happening there that I was just like, I can't believe. I, th- I thought that was the whole movie, it was just cliches and cheesiness, honestly. Yeah, it was, uh, to me, it wasn't very, like, it, I d- did not know where these people were coming from with the things they were saying about him as a villain. It's a, it's an entertaining film. I mm. actually, I would actually, well, it's, it was, okay. I wasn't a fan of Black Panther. I thought it was okay to just kind of watch, but I didn't I didn't really care for it at all. But I'll say that I love Black Panther as a character and I was he was the most sure. interesting character that I've seen in Civil War in a long time in the superhero universe. I was like this is a character I'm very excited to get to know more. Like, and I actually thought that the Black Panther film was a little bit like disappointing because I was so excited about him in Civil War. I was like, what a freaking awesome character. They've done it right. So I I was like, that was very cool to watch. But I kind of, I didn't, I was underwhelmed by his actual full film. Did you watch Solo, Jonah? Yeah. Do we want to get into that? No, maybe in another no. episode maybe in another episode but it's the same thing like this like critics liked it well that's not the same thing this is the first star wars movie that loses money yeah Thank and God. it's actually yeah. shutting down some potential productions yeah. i guess i heard is that right so, it's they've, yeah. they've, yeah, they've like at least they, put some stuff on hold they changing the whole schedule yeah they're holding the boba fett film aren't they they're Good. not making a boba fett film yeah they it was never really in plans they had an obi-wan film planned 
and everybody was excited about it, and they're gonna cancel that one. It's kind of I don't know. I don't and care. So they I, should. I, and so they really, should. Really, I'm not. I'm not excited <laughs> at all for episode nine. Like I don't care anymore. No. Yeah. Well, I think we need to do a Star Wars episode now. By the way, yeah. we need to make <laughs> yeah. a, a three-hour review for the la- for the Last Jedi. <laughs> yeah, we better uh, come with some serious points. Oh man, we almost need to bring in like a whole council of people on this. Oh no, it's not. <laughs> we'll get we'll get Tom Allen on yeah, it. Yeah, get Tom and his essay on it, and uh, we'll yeah, get his Riley. Ten page essay. Actually, Riley, uh, we have this. Is, we're referencing our friends group here uh, for all our fans out there, uh, film buffs. Um, but uh, yeah, Riley's actually in our camp. Stars now. of Jimmy knows. Did you know that? Dan, <gasps> no, he's Riley. Riley, uh, he's mostly he shifted. He turned to the light side. He, he found his way to the wow. light side. He did. I was there for a conversation where he was agreeing yeah. with uh, wow. with Tom. I was. That is probably the most exciting development I've heard in the three years that I've been down here. I love it. I actually, I'll, I'll let Riley know that <laughs> Riley we mentioned agreed with today. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> so we should get both of <laughs> them in on this. Uh, but, yeah. uh, anyways, um, but back to the point of this and we've, uh, we've gone off topic a little bit from Birdman, but for good reason, because yeah. I think that that is a, um, the critic, the critic conversation is something that is a, is a smaller component to the film, smaller subject that, that is tackled. Um, yeah, but, but still very important, very relevant and very important to the story and also just. That actually quite resonated with me. And in you asking me that, Dan, I will say, yeah, I agree with Michael Keaton in that moment. I yeah. agree, too. You guys want to rate uh, the movie? Just, well, hang on. I just want to want to throw this in. Uh, the other day, <clears throat> kind of loosely connected to this topic, is the other day somebody sent me a message on Instagram. And it was a joke, but still it said, um, the podcast is the lower back tattoo of our generation. And she said it directly to me, and I just sort of thought, like, okay, sure, maybe a lot of people have a podcast, but like, they're not just saying that about do- our what podcast. What are you doing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't know if they actually listen, but I just thought, like, okay, sure, but like, what are you doing that is creative, or what are you contributing? What are you putting out there in the universe that is a risk? Right? It was. It's easy for somebody to make fun of fu- make fun of us, but. What are they doing? What are they putting out there? What are they risking? You know, th- th- that one sort of hit home a little bit. Like I knew it was a joke, but I will say I, I wasn't really a fan of the joke. <laughs> I took it a little personally. Yeah, so I, I took it personally. personally too. Yeah, I think uh, that stuff personally. <laughs> who is this person, and where can we, where can we um, embarrass them? Well, uh, to us, the, obviously they know uh, who we are. Or yeah. who you are? Yeah, it's 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 someone it's someone I work with. Do you yeah. have his or her Instagram account? We can. I do. We I can think s- if we put it out there, we can have somebody hack it and destroy her reputation. Or no, we, we can, can just. Oh, so she's a she. <laughs> so yes, that we, narrows the field. That, that definitely right. does. That by fifty percent <laughs> at least. So. So I, I better put my yeah. mean girl wig on now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, go undercover. I love yeah. it when you. I love it when you put that wig on, Alex. <laughs> no, thank you. It looks. It looks my, beautiful with my beard. <laughs> it's my favorite part of the podcast. You people can't see it. Yeah, um, it's, it's but, private. Pay, pay two dollars and you'll be able to see it. 
Alex <laughs> yeah. is doing a Lindsay Lohan yeah, please impression. Visit our, if you become a if you become a Patreon subscriber for one dollar a month, you get to see Alex dancing as a, in his Mean Girl wig <laughs> after yeah. the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, it's the webcam we'll company. Yeah, for twenty dollars, <laughs> and for thirty dollars, you get to go on a date with Alex as a mean girl. Yeah. <laughs> we'll start the bidding at thirty. We'll see how high it goes. I'm guessing that's going to get a lot of traffic. Maybe yeah, we could me, review. Me maybe we could review Mean Girls as uh, our Mean Girl our alter egos. Mine's Jessica. Oh, Wh- which one is that? I, I no, I'm just saying that. that is my alter ego. Is oh, that's you. You've already established one. It's yeah. not related it to the film. It has nothing directly. to do with the film. Okay. It's just my. It's my alter ego. <laughs> I'm Jessica. Okay. We could do that. We could do that. Yeah. yeah. We could. Yeah, it'd be great. Well, I guess it's time that we rate this film. Go for it, Dan. Uh. Okay. So, I think, technically, I want to give this film an 8.5 because of of the way that it's structured uh the through lines of the characters the clarity of it and the fact that they're they're exploring really interesting topics so on that i want to give it an 8.5 i still don't know if i were to rate it like my personal enjoyment of it i still don't know i don't think it's uh it's quite that high but it's growing on me so i'm gonna go 8.5 i like i enjoy this film but i don't know how much i like it if that makes sense. Makes that sense. makes sense. Okay. Um, I'll go. Uh, I I would put it up there, too. I'd say I'd probably give it an eight. Um, and I, I would almost do the same thing, Dan, like in scoring-wise, like uh, saying yep. like from a technical storytelling, you know, just e- even just filming and directing and acting and like all that. Uh, I I thought I think it's actually a super interesting movie, but at the end of the day, and just like again, the stuff they tackle in it, it's a it's a pretty yeah. story, character, um, theme rich film. Definitely character driven. Yeah, yeah. It, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot to unpack there, and even coming into this podcast, I didn't think that we would. I didn't I I didn't realize how much we could unpack. I didn't know we were going to go this long. So that says something about this film and even uh, yeah. in, in those in that sense. So, I, I again, I, I'd give it an eight. And I would say that, yeah, I, I even enjoy the film, too. It's more the ending than and all that stuff that I kind of start teetering a little bit. But, and again, I'm a drummer, so got to respect that soundtrack. Fantastic soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Great, great drumming. Yep. So eight it is. Okay, now, Alex. I'll give it an A too because even when I'm not a big fan of it, I can't separate what I like to what I think is good, and it's a good movie. Just because I I'm not a huge fan doesn't mean that I I want to destroy it and give it a one. You know, it's a it's a, it's a very solid film. I try to be as objective as I can with that. That's very mature of you, Alex. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm 30. So I mean, no, really. Like it is in an age where everything is so subjective and personal. Like, yeah. No, just to say, like, yeah, I, I can appreciate this film even though I don't like it. I swear, man. Like great. after after we went through film school and I heard so many people talking talking crap about movies, in a way that like like I was saying, like, man, you you've never done something like that. How can you judge judge the movie so much without even exactly even yeah trying? I try to have an objective view 
almost out of everything. Like if you put me something like, I don't know, uh, I'm a, I I have a terrible memory today. I know, like <laughs> whatever, like a network movie like Plan 9 from Outer Space. I'm, I, I can't be objective with that because it's garbage. But this movie really has a point and it looks like this. the whole crew really took their time to, to make a great film and you can see that on the screen and that's yeah. why it won the Oscars. Is it deserving of Best Picture, do you no. think? No, not at, not at all. I think Whiplash deserved it. Hmm. Yeah, I think like if we, if we oh, talk about... That was another it, fantastic yeah, film. If we talk about yeah, it in like, yeah. movie effort, Whiplash was better. Well, I'd be willing to do okay. a Whiplash uh, podcast. I, I'd love to. I'd okay. love to. Yeah, all all right. Right. yeah. I love that yeah. film. And I'll bring, right. my, I'll bring my love for drumming. This has been a real yeah. dr- Jono, maybe maybe Jono, one day we can get you set up with like a live little drumming session. Dude, I could play the soundtrack. I could totally do that actually. I could set up at a at a rehearsal space and I can get a, an eight channel mixing board for and we could we could do like a, a backtrack like a birdman. <laughs> <That'd be right. laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it'd be cool to, for for people to hear you drum. Oh, Let's yeah, that. in great. all seriousness, it'd be kind of kind of. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's schedule it. Yeah, <laughs> totally, man. That's great. I'll get it. I'll right. make it happen. This, this was another long episode, but it was fun, and it was. I learned a lot. Yeah. Okay. Well, this has been uh, for film buffs. I'm Dan. I'm Alex, and I'm Jono. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>